Welcome to Debating Metal. My name is Kenneth Dean, the Dean of Metal. My co-host is Chris Kay, and today we're celebrating our 100th episode with a special guest. You've heard me talk about him several times, but today, for our 100th, we have him here in person, in the flesh, all the way from Miami, Florida. Please welcome my best friend, Matt. And to celebrate 100, we're doing Worst of First with Matt's favorite band, Motley Crue. Motley Crue was and is one of the biggest and most infamous acts of the 80s glam scene. Today, Kenneth, Matt, and I are going to rank their nine studio albums in order from worst to first. I can guarantee we're not going to agree on the rankings, but we'll have a debate to decide on the definitive final list. And we're also going to offer our big four glam albums at the end, so you won't want to miss this one, as this time there's three big fours to hear. So sit back, relax, turn it up to 11, and let the debate begin. Motley Crew, worst of first. Welcome, Matt. How are you? What's up, guys? How you doing? It is great to be here. First off, I got to say congratulations being 100 episodes into this. I remember when it was started. I'm glad to be here for the 100th. Thank you for having me. Guys, you are doing great. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. So Matt, Motley Crew is your favorite band. Absolutely. And so that was basically is that that's our our tribute to you to be able to bring you in on this episode and bring you our uh, Motley Crue's Worst of First. So um, why don't you go ahead and give us what your Worst of First Motley Crue albums are. So you start us off with that. Right. And you're going from nine to one. I'll go from nine to one. And you can tell us a little bit about each the, album and how you no feel about it. at all. All right. <laughs> so here we go. Motley Crue, Worst of First from Matt. Number nine, New Tattoo. Number eight, Dr. Feelgood. Number seven, Saints of Los Angeles. Number six, Motley Crue, the self-titled with Karabi. Number five, Generation Swine. And then from there, we just go backwards. Number four, Girls, Girls, Girls. Three is Theater of Pain. Two, Shout of the Devil. And my own personal favorite Motley Crue album, Too Fast for Love. And that's my worst of first. Wow, that's uh, definitely a surprise. I did not see Dr. Feelgood coming. <laughs> <laughs> I can't stand the album. Sorry. Really? I do not like that album. It's definitely a bit of a surprise. Uh, when, when I, I think when you said <laughs> Dr. Feelgood as number eight, I think my eyes kind of popped out of my head a little bit. <laughs> and I, I tell you, because I don't feel that way about the album. Sure. You know, um, yeah, it definitely does... Uh, have its issues, and we talked about that when we did Shout Out the Devil versus Dr. Feelgood. Okay. Um, but I didn't think it was that bad. For you Sweet. for you to put Generation Swine that way ahead of it... <laughs> Generation Swine's a great album. <laughs> it's not. If you guys go on Spotify, I made up a playlist. Dude, Generation Swine is fucking painful. Oh, that album's not fucking painful. Painful. Oh, no. That's a great album. <clears throat> Check out my list. I took it, I dissected it, I made it an EP. That album as an EP is incredible. I would move it up higher, except, you know, you got to go with the classics. Dude, I'd rather listen to Motley Crue's Motley Crue album all day long over Generation Swine. Well, that's... Well, <laughs> why don't you give us your all list right. and tell us the order you okay, want to listen to. Okay, so here's my Motley Crue's worst of first list. All right, number nine, Generation Swine. <laughs> <laughs> It, it wasn't making anywhere near the top of the list. Uh, number eight was New Tattoo. Number seven was Saints of Los Angeles. Um, number six was Motley Crue, the self-titled album with John Karabi. Number five, Girls, Girls, Girls. 
number four, Dr. Feelgood, number three, Theater of Pain, number two, Too Fast for Love, and number one, Shout Out to Devil. That's my nine. Chris, what do you got? All right. So, starting with my number nine, I've got Generation Swine, number eight, Motley Crue, number seven, New Tattoo, number six, Saints of Los Angeles, number five, Theater of Pain, number four, Girls, 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 number three, Dr. Feelgood, number two, Too Fast for Love, and number one, Shout at the Devil. Okay, so see, I see, we have some similarities there. Some similarities, but every one of our lists yes. is different. Yeah, every one of our lists is different. All right, so this is where the debate begins. Um, we have a couple of... Uh, well, we got to start with number nine, right? Yes. Yeah. So gonna... <laughs> All right, so we have... This one's going to be a tough two one. Swines to a new or two swines to a new tattoo. Okay. All right. Well, let's, let's I, I, I want to hear that. what Matt has to say about Swine. Why you think Swine's so good? I think Swine is a good album with a lot of filler that needs to be cut out of it. If you take out your bittersweet, you take out. There's just a lot of filler on that song that does not need to be there. Okay. So if you take off Glitter, you remove Rocket Ship, you take out that stupid song Brandon, you have. What, eight songs that are awesome? The funny thing is the band themselves thinks Glitter is the good song from that album. I don't care. This is not their <laughs> debate. They are not here. They did not come out to debating metal. Imagine. No, but that, that's the funny thing, though. Like They actually included it on one of their seven greatest hits oh, albums absolutely. that they have. But that's like the only song. They have almost as many greatest hits albums <laughs> as they do albums. It's crazy. <laughs> you take so true. Like, Find Myself, the very first song on the album. How does it begin? What's the first word on it? Destroy. You know why that's on there? Because they're trying to destroy their careers. The last song they did with Vince, that was the first song that they did once Vince Neil was back in the band. The last song they did with Vince Neil before he left was Anarchy in the UK. Last words on that was Destroy. destroy. That's, why they, that's why they started it the way they did. Okay, fine. so it's funny you, you mentioned that because the one thing about Generation Swine and that particular song, Find Myself... That to me is like a mini tribute to the Sex Pistols because it sounds like a Sex Pistols punk song. Okay. Right? Yeah, kind and of. Yeah. I did find myself saying that is a, one of the better songs on the album. But after that, it literally went downhill fast as fuck. Nah, Afraid's a great single. No, it's not. Oh, come on. It's terrible. It's better than Dr. Feelgood. No, it's so- not. No, it's not. <laughs> It's better than without you. (laughs) (laughs) So I didn't really care for any of the singles, um, to be honest. I I did try them. I just, it wasn't something that really sunk in. And I think my my biggest problem with Generation Swine is you have a production that started with John Karabi. And then you have Vince come in later into production. And yeah, they worked together on a few songs. But for the most part, it's not really his voice. He's coming in and singing songs that were written for a different lineup of the band and that doesn't always it's not always a problem but it's in some instances it does feel a bit out of like he's a fish out of water because he's coming oh, into 1997 there. motley crew and he has a voice of 1987 motley crew you know i'll take the 87 motley crew <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I mean to me the best song on on Generation Swine was their re-recording of Shout at the Devil. <laughs> wow. So, the, the other thing is, like, you can tell, like, 
you know it's a troubled production. There's issues between McMars and Scott Humphrey, who's the producer. Um, they're frustrated because of, of the what they expected to happen with the Motley Crue self-titled album and what actually happened. And for me, all I hear when I'm listening to it is kind of like that disarray and, and it, it's like it just doesn't have a solid, cohesive voice. Yeah, my, my, my issue with it was to me I felt like it was just all over the place like it was trying to be punk it was trying to be industrial it thought it could be grunge it was tinging on new metal it was just like what do we want to do here and instead of just staying true to their Motley Crue selves they went in a different direction and it was like four different directions to kind of back what you said it was released in 1997 so if you look at the what was going on in 1997 it's almost like they were trying to stay relevant while still throwing back to motley Crue. Yeah. yeah you had gravity kills you had a lot of industrial acts around that time which was kind of where they were going which is why they used scott humphreys the way they did yeah i mean you're you're absolutely right there's nothing to disagree with on that comment it's just that the to me the songs didn't live up to anything that motley Crue had in the past. Shout out the devil does never need to be covered. <laughs> By themselves. By themselves. <laughs> an, industri- an industrial version. An industrial version doesn't need to be there. <laughs> but it was still, to me, the best song on the album. All right, so you, we had Two Swines and you had New Tattoo. So we're, we're close because I think, um, uh, Chris, you had New Tattoo at number seven. I had New Tattoo at number eight. So we literally had it at seven, eight, nine. Seven, eight, nine, yeah. So why yeah, don't we, we talk had, about New Tattoo next? I think for the time being, we we kind of have to place Generation Swine last. It doesn't necessarily mean that's where it's going to end up, but let's talk about We New can Tattoo. negotiate. Yeah. All right, wait. Before we do anything, before we continue, I have to say cheers to my buddy Matt for being here. And we're opening up a can of beer. Houston's own Carbock Brewing. Told so, me, open a crack. Open a cold one. There you go. Cheers, man. Um, so... New tattoo, I to me that is Motley Crue trying to be Motley Crue, and that's that's why I put it one step above Generation Swine, because that's really all it, that was quality about it. Um, yeah, t- there's to me there's also that sense of like now that Vince is officially back in the band, they're trying to kind of appeal to that a little bit of that nostalgia factor, the sound. The only thing that's kind of weird is the drums not being Tommy Lee. Tommy Lee is such a a st- important factor of Motley Crue's sound. He has a, a an interesting way of drumming, and um, it's it's one of those things like some bands when you hear a band like you just expect certain members because of the way they play, and that's that's what kind of throws it off for me. Um, but it is it's like a renewed tone they went back to what they sounded like to a degree while maintaining kind of the heaviness that was introduced in the last couple albums i get you on that and i agree with you on that i can't argue with you just to me the songs are weak the three songs i like on that album are going to be white punks on dope which is a cover song from the tubes um you have fake and you have porno star which there's a demo floating around which with Fuck it, I don't like anything on that album. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, uh, there's a there's a, a demo floating around somewhere. Of you can get Star. a demo for Porno Star, and 
I think it was fake was the other two demos you can get your hands on, which the production is a lot louder. It's more Motley Crue. It sounds a lot earlier than it actually was. I mean, to me, what 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 is what I liked, quote unquote, about New Tattoo is the fact that they were trying to be Motley Crue. Like, I mean, mind you, this came out in 2000, right? So it's not like, you know, the music scene changed in, in such a way that, oh, now we're more we're, we're more accepting of glam metal, hair metal bands from the 80s. It was, they literally said, you know what? This is who we are. We're, we're Motley Crue. And they, they tried to make a Motley Crue album. They had Vince Neil back in the band full time. And it's just, you know, I guess over the years, Nikki Six has literally ran out of ideas. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and oh, he for hasn't sure. really come up with anything really, really good. Yeah. Because at the... At, it's just one of those things, like, it's it's not really a Motley Crue album, like Matt mentioned. It's It's got, you know, 6 a.m. all over it. And that's, oh, yeah. that's kind of the biggest problem is because you can tell after Vince came back into the band, this is... This is not Motley Crue being Motley Crue. They they're not a cohesive unit. They're not, um, you know, sitting down and writing music together. That's that's the biggest problem. It just doesn't feel. It feels like they're trying to write a Motley Crue album, or or somebody else is trying to write a Motley Crue album for them. Is probably the best way to put it. <laughs> to me, it still sounds more like Motley Crue than Generation Swine does, but that's that's kind of because you're you're going into the um they're a nostalgia act at this point almost yeah, if they had progressed and continued on with John Krabi, I it might be a different thing you might say well you know there's two distinct eras of Motley Crue where the first era is the glam and then after that is the alternative rock beyond that um but they didn't and they kind of went backwards and that's why Tommy Le- Tommy Lee left the band is because they were they were going backwards towards what they were before and even then they didn't have the members so it's not a good album um, <laughs> it's just not I mean what's the only real song that you could consider a Motley Crue song is Hell on High Heels because it's actually written by members of the band yeah Mick Mars <laughs> yeah Mick Mars Vince Neil and Nikki Six. Right, I, and I and I thought that was a pretty decent song. Uh, you know, again, it was to me. It's like you know, you go through the whole career and you got these weak Motley Crue songs, and that one's in there. But at least it's a Motley Crue song. It sounds like something that could have easily been you know earlier in their career. All right, so we're still we're still you know at at nine and eight. Hold and, on, let me go back to New Tattoo real quick. Sure. I don't know if you guys knew it or not, but the album cover is actually a backhanded response to Bruce Dickinson's Tattooed Millionaire. Oh really? Yeah, Why? Absolutely. Well, you know, Tattooed Millionaire was backhanded slap at Vince Neil. Oh, was it? Absolutely. The song was written about Vince Neil. <laughs> um, so their response That's was right. to put a tattoo needle on the front cover of it, just as their own little backhanded, quiet response to Bruce Dickinson calling him out like that. Oh. <sighs> so which album's better, Tattooed Millionaire or New Tattoo? <laughs> <laughs> oh god <laughs> I don't even think that, we have to answer that one that's so, a whole new show yeah <laughs> let's do that We're, uh, versus that's a whole new podcast <laughs> yeah alright so um, so for right now I would think we're, we've got new tattoo at number 8 and generation swine at number 9 or is there an argument to say flip those 
Well, it's funny because I believe all three of us picked. Um, well, no, two of uh, Matt and I had Saints of Los Angeles at number seven, and you had it at six. Um, well, before we move on to, to Saints, the, the reason why I said do, do we flip these is because we're talking about it, and and there's almost kind of a more negative connotation towards towards a new tattoo than Generation Swine. Well. Uh, that's because Matt likes Generation Swine. I don't like Generation Swine at all. <laughs> but but you so, do like some stuff off of New Tattoo. I I think I definitely think New Tattoo is a better album than Generation Swine. Have you ever heard New Tattoo? Yes, I I listened to it incessantly on on Monday and Tuesday of last week, and I was like, I I was actually listening to Generation Swine in my car, and now that's I, a good drive. No, it was horrible. I it was like almost <laughs> ran off the side of the fucking road. <laughs> Actually, and then I'm I'm listening to it on the way to one of my games and on the way back from one of the games, I'm like, holy shit, I can't believe I'm torturing myself with this shit. <laughs> okay, so Okay. It was, was, <laughs> I, I, that's how bad I felt. It was. All right, so number nine, where are we gonna put? You wanna put new tattoo or you wanna put swine? I'm gonna give you swine at number nine. We'll put new tattoo at number eight. I think okay. I think that's right, where we're going advantage. for now. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So let's move on. Yeah, we all had pretty close well, to seven. You two had uh, Saints of Los Angeles at seven. I had it at six. Let's talk about it. I like that song, Saints of Los Angeles. I think that's like a like really, really going back to what Motley Crue was all about when they did that song. And I like the fact that it's almost kind of like a biographical type of song. But the rest of the album doesn't relate at all. I don't know if I agree with you. I mean, it is definitely a 6 a.m. album all the way across the board. I don't even know if Tommy's on there. Um, Mick's definitely not on it. It's definitely DJ Ashba production. You may get Mick riffs and licks here and there, as they claim. Um, The song itself, Saints of Los Angeles, yeah, it's a good song. Um, Other songs I like on there, Face Down in the Dirt, Down at the Whiskey, Motherfucker of the Year. Um, There is some still standard Motley Crue cheese you're going to find on there. Chicks Equal Trouble is a terrible song, but there it is looking at you in all its glory. Yeah, it's it feels like Motley Crue, though. Like, uh, the lyrics, the... Oh, you the, know it's Motley Crue. Yeah. Absolutely. And, I mean, I know Mick Mars was involved with some of the songs, but, yeah, it, there's always a question of how much. So, yeah, I, th- I think you're, you're right on point there. This is a 6 a.m. album... Uh, but that being said, Nikki Six has always been the primary songwriter, and he's working with guys he's comfortable with. Obviously, they don't have the same connection within the actual Motley Crue band. They don't have the, the, the dynamic anymore of working together. And again, they're a nostalgia act at this point. So I think there's more good songs on this one than there are on um, the, the last two we talked about. Um and it it has a better production quality, I would say. Like, the actual uh, mixing sounds better to me. Oh, I agree with you there. That's the best production they've had in years. Yeah. Maybe even since Dr. Feelgood. I, yeah. Yep. For sure. Yeah, I mean, like well, I said, Saints of Los Angeles is pretty good. We'll talk know. about that with the Motley Crue album itself. The production is something to be mar- remarked about. But, yeah, uh, you might be right, though. So I, I think in this particular case, I think Saints definitely slides itself into number seven. Okay. Okay. We'll put it there for you, right now, but now it's probably going to stay there. 
Right. Now, you had Motley Crue, the self-titled album, at number eight. Um, I have it at number six. Or, or no, excuse me. Yeah, I have it at number six, and Matt has it at number six. Okay. Um, so it's probably going to fit itself into that number six hole, but let's talk about that album. I know Matt likes this album. I love that album. I can't stand this album. I love that album. I, I don't know what it is that you like about this album. <laughs> production the sound i mean it is the well I, yeah, that i can't take album. away because it's a bob rock album i you know and bob rock is great production but right. production doesn't mean equal good songs production doesn't mean it's going to be a radio hit again i put dr feelgood at number two i was over it i was over the entire thing i done and then you have john karabi coming in which is a totally fresh voice for motley crew i mean it's not a great voice but it's an entirely new sound you add a second guitar to motley crew and next thing you know you have a bare bone stripped down version of a band doing what i always wanted to hear them to do and you put that production on there those drums are the biggest things i've ever heard nikki sounds like he can actually play I mean, it's a to me. I like the album. The songs aren't the strongest, but the sound of I can listen to that album all day, no problem. See, and and I I have no problem with the sound of this album because I like the way that that um, Bob Rock makes albums. He, he has a, a very unique way of being able to put every little nuance in and be able to hear it, especially with the mixing, and 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 the bass always sounds great on a, on a Bob Rock album. The drums always sound great in a Bob Rock album. Guitars are always up front. I mean, he's a he's he's a master producer, but that doesn't take away the fact, or that doesn't help the fact that this album has bad songs on it. That's I mean, who to me, Hooligans Holiday is the best song on the album. Oh, it's you are that, the lead that's off the best single. Motley, well, that's the best Motley Crue song on the album. I mean, that one actually sounds like it's Motley Crue, and I like the fact that John Karabi's singing on there. I mean, I think he does a great job, and like had like if they had done like Van Halen, where they decided, okay, this guy's going to be our singer. We're going to move on with our career. We're going to keep this sound that we had that they created with Feel Good, and they they kept with Hooligans Holiday. If they keep that sound and they can come up with some better songs, I think they have a good career. Well. I mean, there's something you said for the time that it came out. This is an album that came out in 1994 following an album that came out in 1989. So, you know, 1994, we're already past um, Nirvana's Nevermind. So there's a different mindset in the, the, the fandom of music. There's a, there's a complete just sea change of what's going on. So them coming in and saying you know we're going to create a, a hard rock alternative album they have a different singer with uh you know kind of uh, what, what's uh extreme singer um gary gary esque voice or even even has aspects of of sammy hagar in the way he has that kind of pinched vocal um, I like I, yeah. I think I, I would see Sammy a lot more than Sharon in in, in Karabi's voice because he has that little rasp to him. Yeah, well, well, so does Gary Sharon. Um, but regardless, you, you get my point. Like it's it's a different band, and if I think if it was viewed under the the eyes of or, or the, the lens of a different band entirely than than being Motley Crue, it would maybe be viewed differently. The songs aren't that bad. It's just not particularly my style. Something I'm not a big alternative rock guy, um, but the production's very good, 
and at least they were trying something different and they were being honest to themselves as musicians this is the last motley crew album where motley crew worked together as a band so that is true that's mm-hmm. that's a positive you refer to Karabi more as a Gary Sharon. I think he's closer to a Tom Kiefer in my own in my own opinion. He's closer to a Kiefer, a Dizzy Dean Davidson, which are all throwbacks really to Janis Joplin. Not that John yeah, Karabi is Janis Joplin in any way, shape, or form, but that style right there was just an entirely new sound. And like you said, it was after Nirvana. I mean, people are used to the mumbled lyrics. I can't tell you a damn word that John Karabi says on that album. <laughs> Hooligan's Holiday, I think, is the only lyric you can make out on there. Not uh, misunderstood. You can understand Uncle Jack. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and it's funny because Uncle Jack, like, there's there's something about every song on here that it, it could be a good song. And it just doesn't get there. Nah. It's like it cuts you off at the knees. Every Poison Apple time. is a great song. Smoke <laughs> the Sky is okay. Misunderstood is a great song. Very well written. Play around with your balance on there. Mess with the left and the right in the EQ. You have two different songs towards the second half of yeah, that. My thing. shit's electronic. I can't drive and change that shit at the same time. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> so so here's the thing. Like, That's you, why he you have Metallica everywhere. You can't change that shit. You have a band <laughs> that that is kind of finding themselves they're comfortable like they're happy with their their uh, chemistry but it doesn't hit and and that's the problem so you have everybody becoming frustrated because maybe Mick Mars wasn't happy with kind of stay taking a step back a little bit because he's always been I want to be the only guitarist I want to be in the focus and you have um, issues boiling up in the production and that carries over into uh, Generation Swine. So there's never a chance where Motley Crue as this form was ever going to be successful because there's just too many outside factors that were, you know, breaking them down. And it doesn't help that Vince Neil was off doing his own solo tour, selling out larger venues than he was, or at least opening for larger shows than they were. Exactly. Because he sounds like Motley Crue. <laughs> and he was playing Motley Crue songs. And I mean, let's be real. He might have been putting out a better show. He might have had a better prog than Motley Crue did at that point. Yeah. Anywhere there's lights tour, I mean, shit. They were playing sheds with, you know, 50 people in there, open the doors, and they were getting on the radio in the morning, come on down. There was a few bands in the 90s that were able to subsist with the, the metal sound or the, the hair metal sound, you know, Poison and uh, and Motley, or I mean, not Motley Crue, but, but Vince Neil was able to do that. And they're doing something different, trying to survive. So, yeah, I can understand the frustration. Because what did Vince do? He went out and he got himself a better guitarist. No disrespect to Mick Mars. Steve Stevens was an upgrade. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, he was going out there and they're playing Molly. He was doing cover songs. Who's he, his guitar player now? Mick Mars. No, no. <laughs> no, in solo, when he's solo stuff. <laughs> um, Let me see. Last time he had Jason Hook and... Because on bass, he has uh, the dude from Slaughter. Dana Strum. Dana Strum. He has... Um, who's on drums? Isn't it the other the, Slaughter? Bam. No, Bam. No, Bam went to... He's the guy with the showman. Isn't it Blas Elias? No. That Is, was Slaughter. Isn't he, didn't he die? Blas Elias? No, he's who, doing Blue Man Who's the guy from Slaughter who, who died? The guitarist, Tim Kelly. Oh, okay. And it was one of those guys. I thought I thought Blaz was his drummer. Well, maybe not. Don't matter. Don't matter. 
All right. So regardless, <laughs> so we're pretty concrete in putting Motley Crue as number six. Yeah, I think I think that it slides in nicely at that the number six spot. Because honestly, like, I'm even arguing against myself in my placement of putting it at eight. Um, it's just one of those things. Like it did, it doesn't feel particularly Motley Crue in their catalog. But if you think of it in context of when it came out, it makes sense. Right. So now we get to the albums that are true Motley Crue albums. And now we, we get to put those in order. Um, and so you, Chris, have Theater Pain at number five. Um, Matt had Generation Swine at number five. We already put that in this place. <laughs> Sorry, I displaced Dr. Feelgood. And I had Girls, Girls, Girls. So um, we're all, let's all look, over the board here. Yeah, and so I had theater at number three. Um, and I had theater at three. You had theater at three. So let's talk about Girls, Girls, Girls then. Because I, I, you placed it the lowest. Matt and I have it at four. Okay. Um, girls, I put what? Uh, I put girls at five. Okay, and you girls, you guys had it at four. Okay, um, I don't. For for me, girls, girls, girls. I don't. I don't know. It's just like coming off of Theater Pain, which was such a huge album, because of of first it was it was Smoking in the Boys Room, which was a good lead single. Then they 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 bring it home with Home Sweet Home, which was just established the the. Um, the power ballad as, as the prime, the prime driving factor of putting a, a ballad on an album. I mean, it was, it, it crossed over everywhere. And then they had some other, uh, what, I mean, they had some good songs in there. I, I like, um, louder than hell. I think that's a really good song. Um, there was, uh, let's see, what's the other song that was on there that I really like. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm talking about theater. Yeah, and you're talking about girls. Well, I'm 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 talking coming off of theater. You know, um, uh, what was the other song that was on theater that I liked a lot? Uh, Louder in Hell. Oh, Keep your eye on the money is pretty good. So then, when you get to girls, 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 I mean, really, in in my opinion, you got Wild Side, great song. Girls, 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 great song. Obviously, that became like the number one stripper song <laughs> in the country. But to me, after that, they they really don't do anything. Um as far as getting a really good song. I mean, I know Matt, Matt's opinion probably differs dramatically from mine, but I mean, they try to do another, another single with you're all I need. And it just didn't quite get there. It wasn't a home sweet home type of song. Didn't have the same impact after that. You know, the rest of the songs are just kind of all over the place. Mm, Like you said, I'm going to disagree with you all over the place. I'm going to walk all over (laughs) you. Um, Girls album. I mean, they follow the same formula they did during Theater of Pain. It's an album of filler with two good songs that they're lucky they were able to get printed. Um, Wild Side, Girls, Classics. The album, if you take Jailhouse Rock off the end of that thing, that is a 35-minute record. Why is Jailhouse Rock on there? A live cover version. Because somebody wanted a 40-minute record. Jeez. Album was produced by Tom Mormon in 1987. To me, they flipped their image. They took the theater of pain where they're starting to go glam, and then they flipped over to a biker look. I wasn't cool with the image, but it's a great album. I'm happy with it. So, as a whole, I think it's it, it kind of goes back to more of the rough edge that they had 
with the first two albums. You know, with Theater Pain, they went a little more glammy, a little softer. Um, this kind of adds that edge back in. Yeah, Wild Side, Girls, 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 fantastic songs. Staples, um, you know, it leads off the album. And that's really a lot of times all you need to sell an album. You need one or two good songs. Um, You're All I Need wasn't bad. Something for Nothing wasn't bad. Um, I think as a whole, I feel it's pretty cohesive. It feels like one album, which is always kind of important. Like if, if you're a person that just puts a CD on or, uh, you know, you're more advanced than CDs and use digital, then um, it's one you can just kind of listen to all the way through. So that's why I put it above Theater of Pain. I, I didn't like the softer sound of Theater of Pain as much. Um, I, I feel like it was a little more produced, which, you know, for a band like Motley Crue, that is, you know, rough and nasty. Um, to me, that's a, that's a step back. Um, the biggest thing, the best thing about theater pain to me was the, the guitar work from Mick Mars, even though it's, it's too pushed back in the mix. If, If it had been pushed forward, I think the overall sound would be better. Um, you know, they had a lot of issues going on in that album and that stuff that they put aside to when they they recorded Girls, Girls, Girls sounds better. Um, you know, I th- I just think it's, it feels more like Motley Crue. Yeah, there's certain songs. Smoking in the Boy Ro- Boys Room is fine. Um, Home Sweet Home is a, is a staple. It's a classic. But it's just, it's kind of soft compared to the other albums around it. I mean, since since we're we're going over um, theater pain, yeah, I agree with you. The production is just way too slick, way too smooth. If you want to mm-hmm. look at it that way, it's way overproduced. Yeah, you know, Tom Worman did shout. Tom Worman did theater, and Tom Worman did girls, 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 and shout and girls, girls, girls are more alike in production than uh, they are to 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 theater. Theater's way too slick. Um, yeah, I mean, that's my a, problem with it. A, a song like Louder Than Hell, if it had the production that it, 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 that Girls, Girls, Girls had, I mean, that song would sound so much more powerful. Um, I think all these songs probably sound that much better if they have the production of Girls or even Shout. So that's where... But I think the songs still hold up better for me on this one than they do on Girls, Girls, Girls. So that's why I had it higher ranked than girls but um you guys both agree together that girls you know should rank higher than than theater so i'm willing to go ahead and let theater go to number five what do you think matt theater go to five i actually have theater at three um both of you have it at three i have theater at three so the question is dr feel good we're all over the board on that one dr feel good's number eight (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> all right so all right so let's talk about feel good real quick here okay i'm over it feel good see that's it that's a thing as a fan and i know you're a huge fan of crew as a fan of crew that's one of those things you you just hear it a million times and you're done Correct, with it. i'm done right so it's like you the have black to, album i never need to hear the black album again if i never hear inner sandman i'm fine no problem right so that's the same yeah yeah, so i agree but you have to step back and you have to say to yourself all right so let's really really take a look at at the quality of the songs and the production versus the quality in the songs of the production of the other albums that we're trying to compare it to okay and 
so for me, I put feel good at number four. All right. Um, feel good to me. You're generous. We, you know, we took well, more generous than you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, feel good. The song is good. Uh, kickstart. My heart is good without you. I like same old situation and I like, don't go away mad. I mean, that's already what four or five songs in, after that, yes. I mean, slice of your pie was just like, what the hell is this? Rattlesnake shake, um, sticky sweet. It's like, come on, really? Now the funny time thing for about change. This, uh, oh, time for so the funny thing about time for change is you know, we did the episode way back when on on shout at the devil versus uh, Doctor Feelgood and time for change. At the same time we did that episode, got into a commercial. Um, it was licensed for a, like a Delta commercial, Delta Faucet. And I'm like, really? That song? You picked right, that it was song? Delta Faucet. Right? And I'm like, after I bashed the crap out of that song on the episode, they're putting it on a commercial. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it was, I didn't think it was that good of a song. It's probably the cheapest one to get licensed. Yeah, probably. Um, so I, I mean, look, hands down, the production is amazing. Yes. Okay. Tommy's drums are incredible. Tommy's drums are incredible. That's the, the good, one of the biggest things, yeah. Yeah, mixed guitars sound awesome. Agreed. Okay, Kickstart My Heart is my favorite Motley Crue song from top to bottom. That is that I love that song. I love the intro. I love the whole there's this there's a little bit of a biographical element to that Absolutely. song, you know, the whole thing and it almost it was almost like a um a premonition going into the fact that this album ended a cycle for Motley Crue that they kind of tried to keep going when they did Decade of Decadence, but every time a band puts out a Greatest Hits album, you know that's the end of that chapter. And it's going to be like the chap- The next chapter is going to just... Have a new singer. Fl- flip something on their head. And in this particular case, it was a new singer. Called Blades. Yeah, right? Oh, God. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine Blaze fronting Motley Crue? Uh, all kinds of wrong speaking of which you know we're talking about you know we always talk about how people live off their legacy so Paul Diano's got a new band and he's got a new album coming out and his picture that he took with the three new guys has an Iron Maiden he has like an Iron Maiden type of tribute shirt on I'm like really (laughs) just stop All right, I'm just glad he's alive and you know kicking and able to able to put out a new album so that is true. So, Dr. Feelgood, what, what, kicking anyway. what is Matt's feelings about Dr. Feelgood? All right. My notes on Dr. Feelgood. Let me start there. My note I wrote on Dr. Feelgood. None. Fuck that. <laughs> <laughs> so, he has no notes. He has no feelings. And fuck that. I am tired of it. It sounds great. Tommy's drums. To me, just the songs are generic. Um, Yes, he got Dr. Feelgood, which is an incredible song. Kickstart my heart. You went over. That's a great song. Don't go away mad. It's mediocre. It's a Rod Stewart ripoff. Um, yeah, okay. You've got she's go, she Goes Down. I mean, that's average for 1985, 87. But the rest of that album is just filler, and it's overdone, and it was just in your face and would not go away. You think Same Old Situation is filler? I think Same Old Situation is filler. I think that's a song they got a great recording on. They got great backing tracks, and that's why they play it live. They played it live for years because they paid good money to do it, and it's not going anywhere. Because it's got a good melody. And Vince Neil knows how to play it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we went over this with when we did our head-to-head, and, and I'm not a big fan of 
Dr. Feelgood, even though I placed it at number three. It's based on, you know, it's a six-time platinum album. It's very well produced. This Everybody sounds good. The songs are memorable. Um, you know, it, and it kind of embodies the decadence of, of glam and hair metal. Like, to me, it's like a bookend almost. You're at 1989. Things are about to change in two years. And this is this is like one of those last great glam metal albums. And so in that regard, like thinking of it in that respect, I think it deserves a higher rank because of what it represents and, and how good of an album it technically is. For me, I'm not a big fan. I think Dr. Feelgood is all right. I think Kickstart My Heart is an awesome song, but everything else to me, it's okay. Same old situation you asked about. No, I don't like it. It, it it's it's a it's like a poison song. All right. Um, so do you want to do you want to drop it in the rankings down to five, eight? <laughs> I it, you know that's kind of splitting the difference, honestly, between the eight and the three. Okay, so if we put that one at five, we still got girls in theater to to put at three and four. So. Matt, I want to hear your opinion on theater because we didn't really go over that. Theater to me is a very muffled sounding album. I love that album. I never listened to Smoking in the Boys Room anymore. There's no need for it. It's like hearing Dr. Feelgood again. I'm going to change the channel if it comes on. Yeah. But you got City Boy Blues. What a great way to start an album. Just the intro and the way it kicks in. You know you're getting into a Motley Crue album. You know it's not your Shout of the Devil Motley, but it's still Motley Crue. You smell the sleaze on it just from the jump of the album. That is a sleazy sounding album. It is. It is. They were sleaze at that point. Um, take side two. I mean, I remember watching wrestling and you had Lex Luger coming out to use it or lose it. I'm like, I heard it somewhere and it was just loud. To me, the album, I just enjoy that one. Okay. So you guys have theater above it. I'm not going to win that argument. So I think we got to go number five, Dr. Feelgood. Number four, Girls, Girls, Girls. And number three, Theater Pain. Fair? You good you with that, Matt? I'm fine with that. All right, so number four is Girls. So and now we've three. got two left. Okay, so number two and number one, uh, I knew it was going to come down to Shout at the Devil and to Too Fast for Love. So both you and I, Chris, have um, sh- uh, Too Fast for Love at number two, and Matt has it at number one. And he has Shout at number two compared to our shout at number one. Mm-hmm. Um, let's go over Too Fast for Love. And well, let's go over both at the same time. Basically, we're talking about the first two Motley Crue albums. Okay. Too Fast for Love, in my opinion, um, it's, it's obviously Motley Crue, you know, the, the infancy stage of Motley Crue. Um, there's leaps and bounds more maturity in the songwriting to go from Too Fast for Love all the way to Shout the Devil. I mean, it's it's like two different bands almost. Um, and and that was I was even confused because Vince Neil, you know how he loves to change his voice from album to album. It was such a so much harder, so much angrier than than Too Fast for Love. That's what I like about Shout at the Devil. I like that. I mean, both albums have great songs front to back. You know, but I like the angriness. I like the the harder edge of Shout over Too Fast for Love. And that's my opinion. I like the imagery of Shout of the Devil. 
I mean, I love Shout that If you told me we had to flip it the other way, Shout's going number one, I would have no problem with that at all. To me, I just kept the Motley Crue respect. Number one was Too Fast, number two was Shout. I mean, I can't flip between either one of them. Um, too Fast for Love, originally recorded on Leather Records, which was their own by Roy Thomas Baker. You might know him from No Rest for the Wicked, also Dangerous Toys, Hellacious Acres he did. He did Hellacious Acres? Uh, yep, he did a lot of Queen I stuff. i throw too. that shit away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good album. Um... Abby Kipper got a hold of the leather rec. No, Abby recorded it, and then it was Roy Thomas Baker who got his hands on it and made it the Electra version of it. Um, Too Fast for Love. I just love the rawness. That album to me is raw sounding. Um, Vince sounds primitive as you're ever going to get on him. Tommy, you just hear a young kid who doesn't know what to do with what he has. To me, the album's all over the place. I love it. It's a mess. It's great. Shout the Devil is definitely a more refined album. It's definitely more polished. You can tell they've been out on the road. You can tell, you know, Ozzy, they've been out there with pros. So to me, once they got a hold of Shout the Devil, they kind of knew what they were doing. They took their imagery, they flipped it, they actually gave themselves an image. And they put out one hell of an album. They made it all over MTV. You couldn't turn on MTV without seeing them there for a minute. You had Too Young to Fall in Love, which to me, I think I like better than... Um, what was the first song they had? Looks to Kill? Yes, I like that one better than Looks to Kill. Maybe it's because I heard Looks to Kill enough times, but that's where I'm at with that. I album. mean, I heard Too Young to Fall in Love so many times from MTV. And it was just like, every time I turned MTV on, I saw, I, you know, all I see is Tommy Lee walking through Chinatown. Fighting a Navy. <laughs> you know, so... <laughs> I, you know, to me, I, I mean, I like the song. You know, it's a, it's a great song. I like "Looks That Kill." There's other songs on that album I like more. Um, but what, what do you have to say about it, Chris? So I think with "Too Fast for Love," like it has a few really, really strong standouts, like "Live Wire," "Stick to Your Guns," but overall, "Shout at the Devil" has almost the full album is a standout. You know, "Red Hot." Shout at the Devil, Looks a Kill, Too Young to Fall in Love, Knock Him Dead Kid, even the cover of Helter Skelter, 10 Seconds to Love is great. You know, it's it's great all the way through. Um, the vocals are stronger from Vince. Uh, really highly memorable lifts, or riffs. Um, and it, it's a heavier album. You know, there's the rawness of, of, um, of Too Fast for Love, which is always something that I enjoy. You can hear that passion in young musicians a lot of times when they have their first album because they're trying to make it. Um, but I don't think, you know, just within the couple years, even though they are, like you said, a little more road traveled, I don't think they, they're, they've reached that point where, like with the next couple albums, they, they just, they're stars at that point. They're still not quite there yet with this album. So there's still a little bit of that rawness, even though it's more refined. And it just kind of exemplifies everything that Motley Crue would be and is at this time. So I think it's the stronger album of the two for sure. What say you, Matt? You said you were willing to flip. I, uh, can we push Doctor down a couple notches? <laughs> <laughs> well, Doctor's already down to five. Let's put that at six and I'll flip we, it. We, we split the difference on that That's one. fine. I'll take Shout at number one. There's no problem saying Shout the Devil is Motley Crue's best album. I don't think anybody out there could argue with you for saying and Too Fast for Love is number two. I go with that. The other thing is like where Shout at the Devil is you hear all those songs all the time. And the same thing with, with uh, Dr. Feelgood. But which one feels more timeless? Shout at the Devil, absolutely. By yeah. far. Yeah, I mean... 
the thing the thing about Shout Out the Devil that I, I I love the attitude behind it. Like when you listen to Too Fast for Love, you can you can hear a band that's still trying to find their way because they have different directions which certain songs go in. But I agree with Chris. There's a there's a focus and and a a singularity about Shout Out the Devil where mm-hmm. you know that this is where they were focused on and they they went for it. Image. Songs, you know, they're all heavy. That they're all angry. You know, even too, even, even their too young show. to fall in love. If you think show. about it, was kind of an angry song. Oh, absolutely, you know. And so I love it. Yeah, that's that's why I like that song. So I, for me, that's why I had put it put it at number one. All right, so I think we have our final list. Are, are we all in kind of agreement? I other think than we are. Matt, I with think we agree. Uh, feel good, feel good, and Generation Swine. <laughs> Swine's a great album. <laughs> feel like it sucks. All right, all right. So we we have come to an agreement of some sort with um, the nine Motley Crue studio albums. So at number nine we have Generation Swine. Number eight, New Tattoo. Number seven, Saints of Los Angeles. Number six, Motley Crue. Number five, Doctor Feelgood. Number four, Girls, Girls, Girls. Number three, Three Theater of Pain. Number two, Too Fast for Love. And number one, Shout at the Devil. I think we're good with that. I'll agree with you. Let's roll with it. All right, cool. Well, that's our worst of first Motley Crew. So that now brings us to our big four. And this big four this week, man, it took us a while to get to this big four, but we got big four glam albums. And I know the four, the three of us, excuse me, are going to be all over the place in, in picking these big fours. And I don't, I don't think there's going to be too many crossover albums on this list of the three of us. So, um, who wants to go first? Chris, go for it. All right. Um, so my number four, I've got White Snake, the uh, self-titled album from 1987. Um, when I think of of glam. You know, that's one of those iconic albums that it just has great songs on it. It has the image. You have uh, Tawny Katane, which is just always tied to that that album. Um, it, you know, it's it late in the era, but at the same time, I think it's it's one of it's like the pen penultimate time of that of that genre. Um, my number three is Tooth and Nail from Dokken. Um You know. Dawkins, it's funny. They're they're a band I've never really been a huge fan of, but this album is tied to my favorite Freddy movie, and I've just always listened to the songs off of this particular album. Now that we've done a little bit more on it on our previous episodes where we did a head to head, I've come to appreciate more Dawkins songs than I used to. Um, but this one's just one that I've always enjoyed. Um, my number two is Shout at the Devil. We just talked about it for all the reasons we mentioned. Um, it's, a, it's a great album. And my number one is Skid Row. Skid Row. Now, it's the very end of Glam, to be honest. Um, but I remember when that album came out and I saw them on Saturday Night Live. And every song was just so cool. Um, yeah, they'd get heavier with Slave to the Grind, but this was, the, you know, Slave to the Grind was not really as much of a glam album this was. And, uh, I mean, I still listen to this album fairly regularly to this day. I know you're a big fan of that album, so I am too. I think, I think front to back, 
you know, one to ten or whatever you want to call it, however many songs I have, it's a great album. Skid Row. Self-titled. Self-titled. Yeah. I like the second one better. <laughs> I, <know. laughs> I like the second one better, but it's not as much of a glam album to me. Oh, agreed. It's it's a harder edge to it, so it's it doesn't feel glammy, whereas this one does. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and go next so that Matt can have the finale for this one. All right. Um, so my big four glam albums, I have, we have no crossover, Chris, which is amazing. But this, like I said, I, I expected this to be all over the place. All right, so my number four uh, glam album is Great White's uh, Twice Shy the second in the series of the once bitten twice shy. <laughs> um, I just think there's some really good songs on it. The production is amazing on that album. And so that ranks him, that comes in at number four for number three for me is kiss asylum. Uh, that was kiss at the glammiest mm. at that point. I mean, the, the ne- neon colors, the iridescent shit that they, they were playing with all the stuff that they were dressed with on stage. Tears are falling, you know, who wants to be lonely? That, that, that just just oozing glam. Uh, number two, Bon Jovi, Slippery When Wet. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, to this day, my kids are singing Living on a Prayer. Uh, you Give Love a Bad Name, and they're still singing these songs today. Um, you know, adults are bringing it to the, the next generation. That's great. Um, but that album is just awesome. I love Wanted Dead or Alive on that, Wild in the Streets. I mean, it's just a great album front to back and for me my number one glam album uh, is cinderella's night songs that that debut album from cinderella from one to ten i can listen to that album all day long it's just great so there you have my big four matt you got the finale on this one what do you got and like you said nothing really matches we're all over the place with this i'm gonna go number one through four um number one well no you gotta go back four to one ah, i can't flip things up and do it my way all right number four <laughs> number four dean i'm gonna go with the bullet boys i'm gonna go with their first album i know you hate them i know i like it to me it's just another ted templeman he went from montrose to to van halen and now he's spitting out another one it's not the greatest it's glam it's loud you got four members playing their stuff overproduced it's fun i like the album number three i've got look what the cat dragged in from poison 1987 glam metals number one album um do i need to hear it again no but the sound on that album is just so glam i mean you look at the cover there's nothing i mean i don't there's nothing else to say you look at it, you know what you're buying or you leave on the shelf number two i'm gonna go with wake me when it's over from faster pussycat i love that album that's probably my top 20 albums of all time believe it or not um it's it's faster pussy guy going blues. Um, great production on it. Electra put a lot of money and a lot of production behind a lot of resources behind it. I thought that one came out great. Number one, too fast for love. It's my number one Motley album. I'm going to say it's my number one glam album. So that's my list for you. Cool. I, I actually, you know, <sighs> faster pussy cat. I would have picked the first album because that's so much sleazier than the, than the second one. But um, I didn't even think about it when I thought it. Because if I, if I so had seen that the in there, one. huh? The second, the songwriting on the second one's so much better. It's better, but the first one is so sleazy. Oh, it is. Oh, it is. It is a great album. All right, all right. Twelve completely different albums. Yes, twelve. That that's a first. 
<laughs> we've done eight, and we've had eight different ones, but it's it's typically the category. Um, and in this particular case, it definitely was a category as big, uh, wide, and varying as this one. Definitely. But I was surprised that we didn't have one crossover. And actually, my list was seven songs, and I still didn't cross over to anything. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's our big four glam albums, and that brings an end to this special 100th episode of Debating Metal. And I want to thank Matt for making a special trip to Houston to join us for this anniversary episode. Guys, thanks for having me out here. It's been great. Congratulations on your first 100. I look forward to being here for the second 100. I appreciate that. So everyone else out there, please don't forget to tell your friends about us and subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And don't forget you can interact with us by commenting on our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or you can send us a DM as well. If you listen to us on YouTube, be sure to leave us a comment, or if you want, send us an email to debatingmetal at gmail.com. And remember to tune in to the next episode where we spark up another exciting metal debate. On behalf of Kenneth, Matt, and myself, Stay safe and always turn it up to 11. See ya. See ya.